the God of all grace. He is a God of all grace. And listen to what Peter says this God does for us. This God of all grace, he has called us to his eternal glory in Christ. And he will restore and confirm and strengthen and establish you. That's what this God of all grace does. That's this God that we see here in this psalm. He is the God of all grace. All of this is an act of God's grace. It's not because of our own merits. It's not because of our own efforts. It's not because of our religious effort. It's an overflow of God. It's an overflow of his nature to be merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The image we see in verse 1 of light. God, be gracious to us and bless us and make your face to shine upon us. This image of light. Light is meant to shine into the darkness. And this is God's grace. God's grace cannot help but spill over to his creatures. So we see here in this psalm that he's the God of all grace. We see, secondly, that he is the only true God. Look back at verse 3. The psalmist here says, Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. There's an emphasis here on the you. It's this God, this only true God. See, the psalmist looks out. He sees these nations, these nations who have gods and deities. But he's not impressed with their pluralism. The psalmist says that they are to worship the true God, the living God. It's to praise you, O God. Listen to Isaiah chapter 40. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Isaiah 42, verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. See, this one true God is jealous for his own name because anything that seeks to rival him is a fraud and an empty fake. Now, you might think to yourself, this seems a little harsh, perhaps, maybe a little mean-spirited, maybe even a little arrogant or exclusive to say everyone, all nations, needs to worship this one true God. But the psalmist here knows the connection between the creator and blessing. See, blessing can only come from the true God because he alone is able to act ex nihilo. That means from nothing in his creation. Idols, fake gods, false gods, they cannot bless us. They cannot bless us because they have no knowledge, they have no wisdom, they have no authority, they have no power to speak or to create. An idol cannot bless us because it has nothing. And so why would we be content to see the nations worshiping gods who are powerless to do anything for them? We look at the true God, the living God. He alone is creator, and he alone is able to give us true blessing. So the psalmist says, this is the God you are to worship. He is the true and living God. 
Here's a third thing we see about God from this psalm. He is the God of justice. Look back at verse 4. The psalmist says, Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity. The word here, equity, we hear that word actually a lot in our day today, equality or equity. Here in this text, this word means to stand on a level ground. So in the Old Testament, it's often translated as a flatland or a table land. It means to be treated fairly or levelly, you might say, according to the same standard. This is what we see of the God in the Bible. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. That's the same word, a scepter of uprightness. When Isaiah has this vision of the Messiah who was to come, Isaiah 11, he tells us this, that the Messiah will not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness will be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness, the belt of his loins. See, righteousness and faithfulness, this is the standard by which this God will judge all the earth. God does not show partiality. He does not judge based on what his eyes see. He does not change his standards based on our wealth or our color or age or job title. None of these things matter in the sight of God's justice. And what the psalmist is saying for us in verse 4 is that this is actually good news. It is good news for the nations that God will judge with equity. Why is this good news? Well, it's because this standard is fixed. These nations that are oppressed by powers greater than themselves, these powerful nations, they too will be judged. They will come under the judgment of God. And so nations, be glad, rejoice, sing that this is a God of justice. We read in Acts 17, Paul tells us there that God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. You see, the resurrection of Christ is God's verdict that he takes sin seriously and that he will punish all sin. Either his judgment will come to us or the Son will take it for us. God is a God of pure justice. And this God, we see a fourth description in this psalm, is the God who sovereignly directs the hearts of kings, but also tenderly shepherds his people. You see that at the last, this last phrase in, in verse 4, that this God guides the nations upon the earth. He guides these nations upon the earth. Think of all the powerful nations all through time, all through history. We see dynasties and cultures that have lasted for hundreds, some even for thousands of years. Nations that have nuclear bombs and F-18 fighter jets 
kings with wealth and power and fame, but we're reminded that all these nations, all these kings are merely pawns in the hands of God. Proverbs 21, verse 1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. This same God who powerfully steers the nations of this world is also the same God who tenderly leads his people. So that famous psalm, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. What does this shepherd do for his people? Well, he leads us beside still waters. He leads us into paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Nowhere else do you find this combination of both strength and yet gentleness, sovereign power and yet tender care. So as we see the God of this psalm, Psalm 67, I would ask you this question. What is your view of God? Is he the God described here by this psalm? Is he powerful and just, sovereign and gentle, gracious and merciful? No other God can compare with him. Secondly, second question, what is this God's plan for the nations? We see this, this picture of God, th- this view of God. This is who he is. Now, what is his plan for the nations? Well, four quick things we can see here in this psalm. Number one, God's plan for the nations is that they would know his ways. Verse two, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all the nations. This is what we have been created for, is to know God. And his way, verse 2, is his gracious covenant. This is what the psalmist is reflecting upon as he's thinking about God's way, his plan. He immediately goes back to Genesis 12 with Abram. And what do we see there in Genesis 12? God says this to Abram. He says, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. You hear the same, the same language, the, the same ideas. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The psalmist, as he's reflecting upon this promise of blessing, he then adds this layer to this covenantal promise of blessing. He knows that God's plan for the nations is to bless them, and he also knows how this blessing will come. And it comes through salvation. It comes through knowing God's saving power, verse 2. And so the psalmist here is giving us a song. He's giving us a prayer. He's praying this covenant of blessing into existence by praying for God's power to spread to all the nations. We're reminded here that knowing God is not simply intellectual knowledge about God, but that it it is knowing his way of salvation. So friends, this morning, do you know God's way of salvation? His promise to save us from our sin and his plan to accomplish that salvation through the Messiah. 
The God of all justice has planned, but he has also accomplished salvation, and he does it through the death and the resurrection of Christ. In doing so, he displays his mercy, but he also upholds his justice. And so if you know Christ, then you also know this plan of salvation. And God's purpose is for this salvation to be known, to be proclaimed throughout the entire world. So God's plan for the nations is that they would know his ways, that they would know his salvation. We see a second plan of God here in this text. Look back at verse 7. God shall bless us. Here's his plan. Here's his desire. Let all the ends of the earth fear him, to fear God. Now, we probably think immediately in our minds that people should love God, and that's absolutely true. Here we see the psalmist reminding us there's something more than just love, or you might say something that comes alongside of love, and that is fear, to fear the Lord. See, love and fear, they both issue from the same place. They both are looking to something transcendent, something bigger than ourselves, and then there's this response of both love, but also fear, trepidation. You probably all heard of Augustine's famous insight about love, that when we have love ordered rightly, that is, God is our first love, then all our other loves will be in proportion and in the right order. We can say the same thing about fear. When we fear God rightly, all of our other fears will be in the right order. Conversely, if we don't fear God, then all of our other fears will be misaligned and out of order. And friends, this is what we see all over in our world today. We see these fears, these misordered fears, anxiety, depression, worry, all the ways that this lack of fear of God is manifesting in our hearts and in our world. I wonder this morning if you may feel a sense of being helplessly fragile. One author, as he reflects on this idea of fear, says that today we live in a culture that has rejected God, and because we've done so, we are becoming ever more neurotic, ever more anxious about the unknown. And he gives us this image that we're, we're all kind of just floating out there on this sea of free-floating anxieties. There's so many things to get worried about, to be fearful of. I wonder, maybe perhaps you feel that way this morning. You feel helplessly fragile. Maybe you feel like you're floating on a sea and these anxieties are coming at you, these waves of anxiety. Well, friends, the antidote to this fear and anxiety is not to be less afraid, but rather to be more afraid of the right thing. And that's what this psalm is reminding us, that we are to fear God. Theologian John Murray said it this way, the fear of God is the soul of godliness. Or as we see in the Proverbs and all through the Psalms, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
God's plan for the nations is that they would fear him and that they would fear him rightly, not a fear that would lead them away from God in pride or arrogance, but a fear that would lead them toward him in humility and contrition. God's plan is that the nations would fear him. Here's a third thing we see God's plan for the nations is that they would praise him. We see this repeated two different times in our text. Verse 3, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And then again in verse 5, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. You probably heard John Piper's famous saying, missions exist because worship doesn't. And that's what this is getting at. Why do we go to the nations? Why do we bring this good news to the nations? Well, it's because they are not worshiping God. Where there is no worship of God, then there's the need for mission to bring this message of God's salvation to them. So we are aimed at sending missionaries. Why? Because there is this lack of praise among the nations. God has created us to know him. God has created us that we might worship him. We are aimed at what we see in Revelation 5 and 7, where people from every tribe and language and nation are gathered around this throne. And what are they doing there? They're singing this song of praise to the Lamb. And this is what keeps us going in mission. It's worship. It's the aim of mission, but it's also the fuel of mission. It's what motivates our mission. The more we sing, the more we behold the glory of God, the more fuel, the more energy, the more motivation we will have to spread this, this worship among the nations. So God's plan for the nations is that they would praise him. Here's a fourth thing. God's plan for the nations, verse 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. God's plan for the nations is that they would be truly glad, truly happy in God alone. Think about it for a minute. Gladness. What is what is it to be glad? What is gladness? Well, here's how I would answer that question. Gladness is a consistent, enduring, growing satisfaction with God and with his purposes. It's a consistent, enduring, growing satisfaction with God and with his purposes. This is what God desires for the nations that they would find their gladness and their happiness in him. So it's a very simple application, a very simple question. Are you a happy person? Are you glad in God? You know, it's, it's stunning that God would be aimed at our happiness, at our gladness. You might wonder, why, why is that the case? Why does God desire for me to be happy, for me to be glad? Well, it's because his own praise is at stake. You see, the happier we are in God, the more praise we give to him. And the more praise we give to him, the happier and the more content, the more glad we become. 
So God has tied his glory and our happiness together. And this is what he desires for the nations, that they would be happy in God, and as they are happy in God, that they would then praise this God. So to string these four purposes together, here's how I'd do it. Knowing God leads us to fear God, which then shapes our happiness in God and increases our praise of God. Knowing God leads us to fear God, which shapes our happiness in God and then increases our praise to God. This is God's plan for the nations. It's God's plan for us as well. Here's a third question. How will God bless the nations? How is all of this going to happen? Well, remember that this psalm, as we're reading it, is a covenantal prayer. The psalmist here is praying that God would be faithful to his covenant that he gave all the way back in Genesis 12. The good news is God has answered this prayer. We see it in the New Testament, Galatians 3. Here's what we read. Christ has redeemed us from the curse. See, we are cursed. We are not under the blessing of God. But Christ has redeemed us from this curse of the law by becoming a curse for us so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the nations. See, God has answered this prayer. Friends, this is an invitation for us for all of us, to come and be blessed by God. How can you get this blessing? Well, it's by coming to Christ. Those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. How else does God bring this salvation to the nation? He does it ultimately through Christ. And now we see in our text four P's, four means, each with the letter P, for how this is going to happen. So real quickly, four Ps, the humble means by which God brings this message of salvation to the nations. First is people. People, God uses people. The psalmist is praying, be gracious to us, to us, use us, Lord. Bless us, make your face to shine upon us. It's the covenant community, God's people as they are gathered together. And it's the people that God then uses to bring this possession to the nations. So he uses people. He also uses possessions. Look at verse 6. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. You see, a Christian recognizes that everything we have from God is a gift from God. All of our material wealth, all of our possessions, all of the health he has given to us, all of these have been gifts entrusted to us so that we would then use them for the advancement of God's praise among all peoples. So he uses our possessions. The third thing, we already mentioned this, but prayer. The psalmist is praying these promises of God. These promises that have been fulfilled in Christ, and now this is spreading to the world. And so, like the psalmist, we too can pray, Lord, bring this blessing to all the places of this world that have yet to hear the name of Christ. 
God uses the, con- the inconsistent prayers of his people to subvert the powers and the systems of this world. What an amazing thing that God would use our prayers to bless the nations. Here's the fourth P, proclamation. Even as the psalmist is praying, he is making a proclamation. Just like the ironic benediction from Numbers 6. That's what this text comes from. It's repeating this ironic benediction. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This is the blessing, this proclamation that the priests would give to the people. And as they pronounce this blessing, what are they doing? They are placing God's name upon the people. And God gives them this promise, I will bless you. So for us today, God's blessing comes as we make a similar proclamation. Only this proclamation is the good news of what God has already done for us. This is announcing good news, that blessing has come because of what he has accomplished in the cross of Christ. This blessing is not something we earn it, but rather we receive it. And this is why we proclaim it like a herald announcing the good news, the war is over, victory has won, Christ has conquered. This is the news for for the nations. So do you want to see the nations reached with the gospel? Commit yourself to these four P's. Send people, use your possessions, pray earnestly, proclaim Christ. Lastly and briefly, this last question, what does this psalm demand from me? I've already hinted along the way at several points of application. I'm using the word demand here intentionally thinking through the, the tenor of this psalm and what's happening here. You know, the, the psalm begins by speaking of God shining his light upon us. Uh, it should immediately bring to your mind Moses, right, who went into the tabernacle, into the tent, and because he was in the presence of God, he came out and his face was so bright he had to put a veil over it. See, when we encounter God's presence, when God truly shines his light upon us, we cannot walk away unaffected. So there is a particular demand here in this psalm. If God is going to bless us, if he is going to shine his light upon us, it has to motivate us. It has to work in us. So what does this psalm demand from me? I'll give three quick things. Number one, pray big global prayers pray big global prayers so all of your prayers as you're praying for people as you're praying for this church pray with a so that attached to it lord bless this church bless us with finances with staff with interns with new members with the unified session all those are wonderful things but there's a so that attached to it so that your glory would spread to all the nations. Lord, bless me in this new job so that I can give more money to ministry and missions. Lord, bless this family so that some of my own kids would go 
to the nations. Pray big prayers like this. Here's the second thing. Put yourself under God's means of grace. I mentioned this before, but people, proclamation, and prayer. See, Sunday worship is what fuels us to live and to work among the nations who are right here with us. I hope you, you feel that, you understand that. You come in here every Sunday to be filled up so that you can go out. And as you're going out, you are seeking to reach the nation. So put yourself under these means of grace. Here's a third thing. Use your possessions for the sake of the nations. We have unbelievable wealth here in this country. It's not something we need to feel guilty about, but it is something that we need to steward. We need to be reminded that God has blessed us. He's blessed us richly, but these blessings are for the sake of the nations. So think about how you can use your possessions, your home, whether it's hosting coworkers or kids' friends or college students or immigrants who are here, traveling missionaries. How can you use your possessions to bless the nations? One more thing. I think I said three things, but four things. There's one more. One more quick application. Center your life around God's purposes. All these purposes that we covered, this is what God's plan is for the nations. Well, these are our purposes as well. This is what God would have for us, that we would know more of God's ways, that we would have the fear of the Lord before our eyes, that we would praise God with our voices, just like the nations, and that we would be truly happy in God. You see, there is a lot of things to be discouraged about in our world today. There's a lot of things to be concerned about and alarmed at. But there's an infinitely more amazing thing to be glad about. And that is that God is for us. Gladness in God should overshadow all the gloom that we feel and that we see in our world. So be glad, be happy in God. God. Close with this, Psalm 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Joy has come to us so that joy would indeed spread to the world. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for this church, that you would use this church to truly be a means of blessing to the nations. I pray that you would fill this church with people, fill it with praise, fill it with the fear of God before their eyes, and Lord, would you fill this place with gladness and happiness in order that the nations might be reached. Thank you that you are such a God that chooses to bless us sinners who, are, who do not deserve it, and yet you would choose to richly bless us, and in so doing, that we might give our praise to you. What a wonderful thing it is to know you, the true and the living God. We thank you for your grace and for giving us your word. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
I'd invite